one of my friends died quite unexpectedly and uh, gave me a bit of a, you know what, just go out there and live a little bit, do something completely different. And, I thought, and so I applied for it, you know, take a chance, why not? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As we've discovered during the series, hospitality professionals have been doing some extraordinary things during the most challenging of times. It's been a time to question what we do, how we do it, and why we do it too. Those questions, those inner reflections, have led to amazing new adventures for some. Lauren Murdoch is an award-winning chef and now chef-in-residence on Bullo River Station in the Northern Territory. Lauren, I know you're quite an adventurous person, but that's a pretty remote cooking gig. It is a very remote cooking gig. It's um, 800 kilometres west of Darwin, southwest of Darwin. So it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's very close to the border of WA. Now, we were told to isolate and have social distancing during the pandemic, but this is a little bit too far, don't you think? <laughs> it is, it is quite, a, quite a way, yes. Um, I had to go into quarantine when I got here, so that was a bit of an adventure as well. Well, before we get to that, you're an award-winning chef and been been involved with a lot of restaurants from Rockpool to MG Garage and Felix and Lotus, Ash Street Cellar. Like, it's an amazing list. And here you are in the middle of the territory. What what led to this gig? Um, I have been doing catering for on and off when I've been in between restaurants. And one of my friends was doing work for a company called AWC, Australian Wildlife Conservancy. And they are um, they have sanctuaries all around Australia. They've got 6.5 million hectares of wildlife sanctuaries around Australia. They're the largest non-government. So they hold... Um, they hold events for their major supporters around the country. So I've done three of them um, with these with this group. So I did one in um, Mornington this year in March for two people. Um, anyway, they are helping to look after this property. So the property, um, they're helping to co-manage it to make it sustainable farming. So they told me about the job. And as you briefly mentioned, you had to enter quarantine for a period of time before you were released into the community in the Northern Territory. Released, released. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like in quarantine? You know, I actually had quite a fun quarantine. Um, the borders to the borders of Northern Territory were meant to open on the 17th. And when I found out I had the job, it was a couple of weeks before that. So we sort of waited um, for the borders to open. And just the week before I was coming up, like the, the numbers started to increase in Sydney and I could just feel that gap sort of closing. I thought, I hope I can get up there before they change their mind. It was like there was an explosion happening behind me and I was trying to run towards safety and, and you know, I just I kind of had a feeling that it was going to happen. So a couple of days beforehand I said, no, you're going into quarantine. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll just have to do it. Um, and I looked up the facility that I was going into and it looked a bit like a detention centre and I thought, I don't want to go there, you know. I thought all my friends would be in luxury hotels and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But once I actually got there, it was fine. It was actually quite a lot of fun. We had a lot of sunshine, we had fresh air, we could go outside on our balcony Um the weather was warm. It was quite nice. We got to do exercise. We were allowed to do, um, laid out of our room for 20 minutes a day to do exercise. 
Um, they weren't very strict on that. As long as you weren't, you know, out there gallivanting around all day, um, we could actually. And I ended up running ten kilometres every morning before seven thirty wow. in the morning. I know, and I don't run. And I just started. I started by walking. <laughs> I know it was really weird. I started by walking every morning. I thought I'll run a little bit, so I started to run a little bit, and then I ran ten kilometres often. And so that was quite amazing. So yeah, no alcohol. I think that probably helped a bit. Um, but yeah, it was actually I actually had quite a lot of fun. Well, thanks to the joy of Instagram, I noticed that you also entered the Olympics when you were there. Yeah, the, we had, I was in a really good little laneway, our little alley where we were, um, was a group of girls and they decided to do a thing called um, Howard Springs Quarantine Olympics. So we set up this little Olympics <laughs> <laughs> Olympic thing going on. So the first day, um, I think we did mini golf. So we had to all social distance, of course. So we had to make your own golf club because you couldn't share that. You couldn't touch the ball. Um, we had masks on the whole time. You weren't allowed out of your room on your balcony without a mask. So we all had masks. Um, so that was quite fun. We also did um, a thing called flip cup where you had to, we did in rounds. So, you know, we had three cups half filled with water, flip those. We did paper plane throwing competitions. We did an obstacle course where you had to balance a popper on your head and cross, <laughs> go, go, go across some rocks and things and around a garbage bin and, and whatnot. It, it was actually a lot of fun. And I kind of feel a bit guilty about saying that because I know that most of my friends that were stuck in hotels, they really didn't have as much fun as what I did. But, yeah, no, it was it was, it was a hoot. <laughs> well, uh, you are out of quarantine. What was it like when you got out of quarantine and you're allowed to – embark on your journey to cook on this station um it, it was it was good it was quite fun getting out um we we spent the first night in Catherine because it's too far to drive all the, it's about nine hours driving um and it's a bit dangerous to drive at night because a lot of cattle on the roads and things like that so we stopped for a night at Catherine so we got to Catherine after being quarantined for two weeks and got went for a swim in the hot thermal springs and it was just what what more could you want after being in quarantine than going sitting and bathing in thermal springs underneath Pandanus and whatnot? I was going, this is this is great. And a lovely fresh hot sausage roll. It was it was it was, it was like this is pretty good. Um, and then the next day we drove out, and that took about six hours. So it was about three hours to Catherine, and then about another six hours out to the property. And we arrived um, at about 6.30 at night just as the sun was setting and we stopped off at one – they've got a really big – there's a lot of Boabs, obviously um, – a huge Boab right next to the river where they set up and have barbecues sometimes and that's all lit with fairy, fairy lights and this big Argentinian barbecue set up thing and I was just like, this is going to be pretty good. And I got and the sunsets are amazing. They're absolutely ridiculous. They're, I've had to stop taking photos because they're all so good. Um, so yeah, we got there and the sun was setting over the pool and it was just, it was, it's, it's a very, very beautiful property. It's amazing. That part of the world is pretty extraordinary and there's all sorts of fauna from wallabies to dingoes and wild buffalo and migratory birds. How many of them have you seen? I've, I've seen a lot. I've seen a couple of crocodiles. Um, I saw a crocodile today, actually. Um, I've seen a couple of crocodiles. <laughs> I saw, um, they've seen emus. There are a lot of buffalo. Um, I haven't run into any um, on the path, which is good. But we we have we did a muster, so I've, we had a lot of them in the pen. They've been taken away now. Um, you know, lots of wallabies all the time, everywhere. Um, lots of birds, sea eagles, magpie geese. There, it's it's quite amazing. 
Corella's screeching all the time, you know, very noisy. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's really good. So as far as cooking gigs go, what is your role there and what sort of food are you cooking? I uh, The role originally was for a station cook. So I was set the job to me, so it's a Sikh thing, uh, the job sent to me by the AWC people. And they said, maybe you want to have a look at this because they knew that I wasn't working. And I kind of looked at it for a while and thought about it. And it was a 10-month contract filling in for uh, the chef, who the cook that's there, he's on maternity leave. So it's a 10-month contract. And I looked at it and thought, I don't know if I can do 10 months. It's quite a long time. And then um, one of my friends died quite unexpectedly and gave me a bit of a, you know what, just go out there and live a little bit, do something completely different. And, thought, and so I applied for it that day. I found out that he died. And then I didn't hear, yeah, I thought, you know, what am I doing? I'm sitting here. I have, I've worked three days since March and why not just do something completely different? So I didn't hear back from them for about five days. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I've already got someone. And then they called back and they said, you do realise you're a little bit overqualified for the position of being a station cook? And I said, I know, but I'm not, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I'm just, you know, I really want to do something different. I have done a bit of remote cooking before with AWC. So they knew that connection was there. And I said, look, just take a chance, you know, it's not going to be bad, I don't think. Um, I, think I, <laughs> I think I can handle it. So, you know, take a chance, why not? So they, and then, you know, we had organised the flights, the, we had to wait till the border opened and so a couple of days after that, quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so, yeah, I was hired as the station cook at first and then when I was in quarantine they called and said, that the, so there's also um, an accommodation here, uh, here, um, at, at um, Bullo River, that's um, very high-end accommodation. And so they have a chef, another chef that looks after that. He left. So I started back there um, as the cooking for the guests for now and there's another um, contract chef that's looking after the, the stockman at the moment and the staff. So at the moment I'm cooking for the guests, which have also been up and down because of borders opening, closing, up and down, blah, blah. So at the moment there's been, you know, three, five, six sort of guests. Um, so there's no guests at the moment so that's why I'm on a bit of a break, which is good. But, yeah, so it's quite a nice way to step into it is to be doing the things that I normally do and get to see how the station and see how the station works for the for the cooks down there. Um, so, yeah, it's been a been perfect sort of introduction so far. Well, it's a pretty extraordinary station. It's a 4,000-strong Brahmin cross herd across half a million acres. Is there a, um, pressure on you to be cooking beef? Yeah, yeah there's, we, there's a lot of beef. When I, when I, when I first, when I, honestly, when I first rang them, they said, how often do you not eat beef? And they said, maybe once a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, a lot of beef because it's there, you know, it's it's why not? Of course, you have to eat beef. Um, but yeah, so there's the 4,000 on the property, about 4,000. Uh, they're trialing across at the moment. So they've got Wagyu Brahmin bulls and they're breeding those with the Brahmin shorthorn heifers. Um, so yeah, the Brahmin are really good with the heat, the Wagyu for the flavour and the marbling. So they're sort of trialing that at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. And I got to go out on a shoot the other day. 
So I got to see the whole process. Actually, when I first when I first got there, the first guests arrived. I looked out the window and there was a bobcat going past with the bull hanging from the front of it. And I thought, it's not something I see very often, Sydney, <laughs> from the kitchen. And I thought, I wonder what the guests think. But they didn't. They didn't care. Um, they didn't even flinch. And I was going, wow, that's quite amazing. And then I knew that they would be doing another one, another kill. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go and do that. And they get butchers. So two butchers came from Darwin and they were there for about five days and they – break down the animals. So the first one I didn't see the shoot. Second one I thought I can go out in the paddock and do this. So we jumped in the buggy. They said, here, have a have a beer. So they, I got a 4X and they said, hold the, hold the rifle. <laughs> so it was rolling a cigarette. So I was sitting in this buggy going out with a 4X in one hand and the rifle in the other and I thought, this wasn't on my 2020 bingo card, was it? <laughs> <laughs> So I thought this is not something I would have predicted myself doing this year. Um, so we drove out to the paddock. Um, we were probably about 100 metres out and they shot the bull. It was all very quick. I think they have to have it like shot and bled within 23 seconds or something is these the guidelines for, you know, making sure it's all safe and all that sort of stuff. So shot the bull, the bobcat comes in, uh, hangs it up, slit the throat, bled out there on the field and then went back to the processing area and they lay the bull down on like two parallel bars sort of thing with its legs sticking up and take the whole skin off and the head and then hang it back up again and finish taking the skin off and then gut it from there. So get in there and pull everything out in one piece and then lay it back down again and break it up. In, no, they leave it up there and then they cut it up into four pieces with a chainsaw and stick it in the cool room. With all done within like 20 minutes. It's very fast. So there were four bulls done that day. So I go. I've been in a few abattoirs in my time and it certainly gives a new perspective on the value of eating quality meat and the, the handling. Did that experience change the way that you then cooked that meat for the guests? I, I haven't cooked that yet. Um, actually, I did. I did some mints. I did some risoles. That was for a staff barbecue. Um, yeah, it does. And I kind of – a lot of the – some of the offal they don't really tend to use very much, I think. And so I was sort of, can I have that heart, please? Can I have a bit of that liver, please? I didn't take any tripe this time, but I might try and get some tripe next time. Um, but I cooked the tongue on Friday. So the tongue that I saw taken out on the Tuesday, cooked that on the Friday and I shared that with one of the stockmen who's really into offal so that's good with some I did it res, uh, red braised so Chinese style with eggs that I got from the chickens on the Wednesday and I thought that's pretty that's pretty local that's pretty that's pretty cool <laughs> but that was a good that was a great thing to do so yes that was that was the I did appreciate it very much so yeah you weren't always going to be a chef originally you were, were going to be a nurse before turning into turning to chefing can you tell us a bit about that time? Um, I, I actually wanted to do science. I was quite good at science at school and biology and I wanted to do that, but I didn't get enough points in my HSC to get into science. So I was going to do nursing um, and then change over into the science a bit later on. And then I did a year of that and I didn't really love it very much. Um, I did two weeks on the Burns Ward at Royal North Shore. That wasn't very nice. Um 
yeah, I don't, yeah, I'll save those stories for another one. Um, two weeks, the heart and respiratory, that was okay. Um, and then my, at the end of that year, my sister's boyfriend was working at a restaurant, uh, working for a restaurant group and just opened a restaurant called Atlas Bistro and that was down at Riley Street in Surrey Hills where Cafe Passy was um, up there. And it was a really cool restaurant. It was the happening place to be and it was funky and blah, blah. So I thought they were looking for an apprentice. I thought I'll just go and have a look and see see what it's like. So I went in there and the first day I think I roasted two boxes of capsicums. I char-grilled them. I think I cleaned 10 kilos of mussels and I made a, a Chez Panisse baked ricotta cheesecake. I remember it exactly. And I loved it so much. I just thought this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. I'd never looked back. I loved it completely from day one. So just went and told my dad that I'm not going to finish my degree and he was fine with that. Everyone was fine. So yeah, loved it. Still love it very much. Well, that led to Rockpool and MG Garage and and working with Yanni Christus. What, what was some of the real key moments for you as a young chef and influencers? Um, Yanni, definitely, definitely one of the, one of my highlights and he's like a, almost like a second father to me. Um, definitely a big influence. Um, I don't know. I think, I think a mix of everything that I've done. So I've worked in quite high end places. A lot of the catering I think has actually made me more adaptable. So the little bits of catering I've done it sort of takes you out of your comfort zone. Whereas a restaurant, you know, where everything is, you know, the oven, you know, the cool room, you know, where everything is. Whereas catering, you're going out to a different kitchen every day. You do, you know, you're going out, you don't know what the driveway is like. You don't know what the, how hot the oven is. You don't know what equipment, you know, you've really got to make sure, you know, exactly how to cook because you don't know what it's going to be like when you get there most of the time. So that makes you more adaptable, I think, doing catering. So yeah, I think a bit of bit of mix of everything has has been the things I've enjoyed about cooking, mostly. A little earlier, you mentioned that the pandemic had started and things were kind of blowing up behind you as you were trying to escape to the Northern Territory. What, what was that period of time like for you when the restaurant industry was shut down? How did you feel about all of that time? Uh, I, was, I was quite sad for everyone um, when. When it first started, I was actually on a job in, in WA, the one up in the Kimberley. And we got to Broome. We flew from Sydney to Broome and then spent a night in Broome before we flew out to the to the site. And we looked at the social media and it's like, people are starting to hoard toilet paper. That's really weird. And we went, we went to Coles. And there was like half-priced toilet paper. We took a photo. I went, ha-ha, look at you guys. And then when we were out there, we'd, you know, get updates. And we'd go, oh, my God, Tom Hanks has got it. Oh, my God, this and that. And I was thinking, I don't know if I have toilet paper at home at the moment. I don't know if I have enough. So, so <laughs> on, on the way back, I nicked a roll of toilet paper from the hotel just in case I didn't have any. And also the catering company I was working for, I was working for Cook and Waiter, and they had – I was coming back. We had an event on for 5,000 people for um, a big group plus another 750 on – that was on the 28th of March and it was just cancelled, just gone. So that would have been a lot of work, a lot of money and just that's it, not done. And then also um, my birthday was on the 23rd of March and that was going to be the pizza dinner for the Breville pizza thing and I'd been away in quarantine and I thought, great, I'm going to see all my friends, we're going to have pizza, I can tell them about my amazing trip. 
then that was cancelled as well. Um, but I ended up having a nice dinner at Yanni's place and then I locked, the full lockdown started and I went and stayed with my sister for a couple of months. So that was that was lovely. So I didn't have to be on my own. And we actually had a really good time. We, we, we get on very well. So it was my sister and brother-in-law and the two nieces. And we actually had a lot of fun and I cooked a lot and we cooked, you know, they're really big eaters, unusual things. So, you know, we ate really well. We had tripe tacos and we had ginseng chicken and we had, you know, a big crab boil because the seafood was really cheap. So we'd go to the fish markets and buy really good crabs and, you know, we ate really well. But then after a couple of months, I thought, well, the girls had to go back to school and they'd life to get back to normal. So I went back home again and... I've just hardly working at all. I was walking a lot. I was walking like 20,000 steps a day, listening to a lot of podcasts. And so, yeah, that's why I thought, you know what, I can't walk forever. I think I should probably think about getting a job. So that's when I thought, you know, it's time to time to do something different, definitely. It's been a little while since you've been working in a restaurant, a bricks and mortar restaurant, and you've really found a lot of joy in the challenges of catering and doing remote gigs like you are at the moment. But how do you feel about the restaurant industry moving forward, given the ramifications of everything that's happened? I think it's I think it's going to be tough for the restaurants. Um, I don't I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, as a lot of people have said, it had to change. There, there was time for a big change before this started, with the wages and the hours and all that sort of stuff. Um, I really hope. I don't know. I hope. I hope it sort of comes together, and I hope. I mean, I will. I want to go out to dinner. I know a lot of people want to go out to dinner and restaurants and things again. So hopefully when it all comes back to normal that everyone really embraces it. So I hope I hope everyone sort of comes together. I know so many people must be really, really upset and struggling and I, I do really feel for them. But, um, yeah, I hope, I hope I wish them the best and I hope it sort of starts to turn around soon for them. I know you're in um, Sydney and in a larger or surrounded by more people when the pandemic started, but you're in a community that's quite small now. What's it, what's it like in the Northern Territory during the pandemic? Um, I'm not, I know they did. I was talking to a guy yesterday while I was sitting in the Thermal Springs again um, <laughs> and he was saying there was compl- – <laughs> I know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um he was saying when it first started hearing, because I'm in Catherine at the moment, and he was saying that it was complete lockdown here. And he was saying, you know, there was no one out. It was it was exactly the same, um, I guess, as it was in Sydney. It's completely locked down. They said there was no one anywhere. But I think there's quite a lot of tourism happening here at the moment. A lot of people that I've spoken to have come up from Queensland, um, across from Queensland and South Australia, I think, is open. So I think tourism here is probably going to do quite well um i know that a lot of new south wales and and country regional areas are kind of think they're doing okay as well so um yeah as i said i haven't really seen i haven't been out very much all i've done is come from quarantine to a cattle station this is my first really (laughs) i haven't really been out to the real world very much over the last five weeks but um yeah it's it seems it seems okay You've been involved in really large catering events for for hundreds of people, and yet you're in a situation now where you might be feeding two or four or six people. 
what what's what's some of the challenges in such a small amount of people and and getting that right to their experiences is, is one to remember. Um, quite often they you well, you cook a meal and they go we're not having a meal anymore we've changed our mind we're not having lunch it's like I've just cooked eight prawns <laughs> and now you're not going to have them so people they change their mind a lot which has been annoying but when when you've got thirty other hungry men around. That nothing ever goes to waste. Um, so we've got, yeah, at the moment there's about 30 people on the property. There's contractors as well, so they're doing a lot of work. Um, there's a Where the staff area is, it's called Rainer's Camp. Um, so that's quite a new camp. It's only been there for about six months. So they've got brand new dongers, they're called, where I'm staying at the moment in a donger. <laughs> and a brand new kitchen up there, so the staff area. So there's a lot of contract going on up there. Um builders going all the time so there's about 30 people I think it's going to expand to about 40 soon depending on or still depending on COVID they can't get builders in from here and there and WA and whatnot so it's it is still change that's even changing up there um so yeah there's it's okay but yeah cooking for two it's quite different from the from the hundreds and hundreds it's quite nice actually <laughs> I'm not complaining You've worked for, as we mentioned earlier, worked for some pretty amazing restaurants and and won many awards with restaurants that you've run. Uh, how, how would you describe your style of cooking? I think my style of cooking is quite simple. Um, I think it's probably almost like home style cooking, but probably better than what most people can do at home. I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's quite simple. I like things to be quite pure. Um, I don't make a lot of fuss over the food. I just like, you know, if it's a zucchini, it's a beautifully grilled zucchini or pan fried. Um, I like to use spices. I like to use herbs. I like, you know, citrus, all those beautiful things, nice olive oil, nice butter, all the good produce, good flavours. But, yeah, I'd say home cooking done well with extra herbs and spices. Not quite KFC style, but you know, but yeah. There's some pretty extraordinary animals around you. Is there any chance you might be cooking some crocodile or emu or even magpie goose if uh, you were permitted? Um, I don't think I'm allowed to shoot the magpie goose, but uh, I think there is someone in our property that, that is allowed to have it. They did have crocodile for staff dinner the other night because there was some in the freezer, but. <laughs> But I was up. I was cooking for the guests, so I, I missed out on that one. But apparently, it was quite nice. It was, I've, I've only had crocodile a couple of times. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to take those either from the river. <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, I'll, I'll try. I'll let you know if, if it happens. I'll try and get it filmed. But no, I can't see myself running to the river and, and wrangling a crocodile. Although the croc wrestler did come the other day. Croc wrangler. There's a guy called the croc wrangler. Apparently, he does a TV show. He was there the other day. He brought our guests in in the chopper. So that was quite interesting. Wow. But um, yeah. So that was good. And we. Uh, yeah, buffalo we have. So they do muster the wild buffalo um, up there as well. So they we killed three buffalo the next day after we killed the four cows. Um, so we have buffalo sausages. So the butchers come in for four, you know, they break everything down. Once they've cut them into four, the next few days they make sausages, they make mince, they cut all the beef up and hang a lot of it and then cry back a lot of the cuts as well. Um, so we have buffalo sausages as well. Um, 
and yeah, yeah, everything. But the buffalo are quite dangerous. There's wild ones on the property, so I I can't run like I was running in quarantine while I'm here. <laughs> um, I run on the airstrip in the mornings if I if we don't have guests. So I've been running, but I can't run out on the road because the wild buffalo might get me. So there you go. You said that you love to eat out in restaurants. Have you had a chance to eat out in Catherine or any of the local restaurants? No, I haven't yet. First night I got here a bit late. Um, last night I just got some takeaway Chinese. But maybe tonight because there's a girl here that I was in quarantine with actually. Um, I ran into her when I was <laughs> when we both left quarantine the same day. She was going to Catherine. I happened to run into her and Catherine. It's like, what are the chances? I don't know anyone. But And then... Yesterday, I ran into someone else. I was out at the, one of the national parks and I, there was like four cars there and I got out of my car and I heard, Lauren. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> 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 it was a girl that works for AWC um, that I worked with in Townsville and she lives near Catherine. So I was like, you know, it's it's quite amazing. that I, uh, Two people I've run into since I've been here. So, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll go. She's working at a, at a club, so maybe I might go and see her tonight. But no, I haven't eaten out yet. You mentioned that uh, you moved in with your sister and you had a really good connection with, with family during this time and you also, someone quite close to you died as well. It's, has this period of time changed you as a person? Yes, I think it definitely has changed me. I've, I, I'm actually quite happy. Um, I think I've, I don't really have any stress going on at the moment. My father, which is... is fantastic person obviously he's always made me save a nest egg or you know a backup plan if he said if something make sure you've always got something to fall back on just in case you break your arm or something you get sick you look after yourself so when I didn't have any money coming in thank god I had a bit of backup money so I didn't really have to stress about paying my mortgage and things like that so thanks dad for making me a tight ass <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> no, um, and I've actually, I've actually had a good COVID so far. I know that I feel a bit guilty saying that, but um, I've spent a lot of time with my sister. It was great with my family. I missed my dad in the first few months because I couldn't see him. He was in the Blue Mountains, um, and I've missed quite a few friends. But I've, I've quite healthy because I've been exercising quite a lot. I've been eating quite well. I haven't been working stupid hours, hardly anything. Um, and I feel, I feel really good. I'm quite happy. It's, it's, it's weird, but it's nice. Yeah, so I think no stress, exercise, healthy, it's good. You originally moved there for a 10-month gig and while you're in quarantine, got offered the job um, cooking for guests in the, in the accommodation. Do you, do you see yourself staying there for 10 months now, like living in that sort of 34 degrees tropical environment? Yeah. Well, at the moment it's very dry. So it's, yeah, 34, 38, but dry. So it's actually quite – it's all right. It's quite nice. I've seemed to have adjusted quite well and the nights are cooler. I can get down to, you know, between 18 and 14 at the moment. So that's quite nice. But everyone has said – you wait, wait till the wet comes and wait till see just be, even just before the wet. They said it's really testing. You will, you know, so I even went and bought some nice talcum powder with the zinc and things in it when I'm here in Catherine back up. I said, make sure you get some nice cotton underwear <laughs> and some, some nice cotton bras that don't have underwire if you're going to wear a bra at all. Um, 
So that's it. It's very testing. So we'll see. We'll see after the wet what happens. But yeah, apparently it's completely different. So at the moment it's dry. It's quite nice. They said the humidity it can really make you go a bit nuts. So we'll see. But they, they, they're quite like me there at the moment, which is good. Even the station manager the other day said, you know, oh, you'd like me to stay till at least the end of next year. And I said, look, I haven't even been here three weeks yet. You might change your mind. Um, but no, it's good. They, they enjoy having me there and I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. So I, I want to stick it out. I, hopefully it'll work out for me and I love it. So at this stage, yeah, I'm on track to stay until at least April. We'll see. Wow. Well, Lauren, it's always a joy to catch up with you. You you've always got a story to tell. Um, <laughs> I do, I do. We didn't even we didn't even get to the um, mini tornado that broke the three umbrellas when I was sitting next to the pool. Oh, anyway. Wow. <laughs> I know. My first day off, I was sitting next to the pool. We're allowed to go to the pool when the guests aren't there, and I thought, oh, it's a good bit of a breeze is picking up. And then I thought, oh, the birds are freaking out a bit. What are they doing flying around like many? And then suddenly this wind just came from nowhere. I didn't ever have time to move or think or anything. It was about 15 seconds of this gust of wind. And it snapped three umbrellas that were next to the pool and one of them ended up in the pool. My Cobra ended up in the pool. <laughs> and, yeah, I was like, what the hell? And everyone came out and said, you all right? And I said, yeah. I was just, yeah, I was like, it was just so quick and so weird that I didn't know what had happened. But, yeah, a willy-willy mini tornado is what it was. Wow. Well, I think we might have to catch up with you again. There's no doubt you're going to um, have some pretty interesting tales as uh, your m mission out there in the Northern Territory continues. Uh, Lauren, bloody awesome to catch up. Keep in touch and we'll talk soon. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Ed. Cool. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.